The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Look what I have made. Look what I have done. That's the essence of idolatry. Uh, there was a guy uh, by the name of Hidayoshi. He was a, a, a warlord in Japan. He was a Japanese warlord. And he figured this out about his idols. And he, and he, he spent uh, 50,000 he, he spent 50,000 men. He had 50,000 men over a five-year period and spent a lot of money building this giant statue of Buddha uh, to worship at a temple. So Hidayoshi, uh, he spent uh, 50,000 men in five years and, and a ton of money to build this giant uh, idol in Japan. And he built this idol of Buddha. And so they're working on it, they're building it, and around the year 1596, there was a giant earthquake that destroyed the temple that crushed the idol of Buddha, and it was uh, he was devastated. He was ticked, uh, to say the least. The story is, he gets on top of the idol of Buddha, he shoots an arrow into it, and says, I put you here at great expense. You couldn't even look after your own temple. That's what idols do. They cost us a lot. They overpromise. And they over-deliver, and they never quite do uh, what we thought they would set out to do. They don't quite answer the promise of being able to satisfy, uh, of being able to ultimately uh, fulfill, uh, to be able to give us all of this purpose and identity uh, that we sought for when we build the idol. We may look at Hidayoshi's uh, story uh, of how he built this giant idol of Buddha and say, well, that's ancient times. Like, we don't, we don't build idols anymore, but I would say, friend, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Our hearts are idol factories. They're always working, always working, trying to find something to believe in, trying to find someone to believe in, trying to find something to be in awe of, to be amazed by, trying to find something to fill that void in our hearts to satisfy satisfy us. We are idol factories. And we get mad at our idols just the way that Hidayoshi got mad at that uh, statue of Buddha. Uh, we get mad at our spouse for not being Jesus. So they are not all-knowing. They're not all-powerful after all. Even though when you were dating, he or she probably pretended to be all-knowing and all-powerful. And they put the cape on and they were Superman and it was great. And then you realize that they are not Jesus. You get mad at them. Uh, we get mad at our jobs for not being Jesus. When you went through that interview process, man, you thought that it was going to fulfill you, that it was going to be uh, the answer to all of your longings for your heart. And then you get to a point when you realize that this job isn't Jesus after all. You may curse the ground when you drive up on that parking lot in the morning because it's not what you thought it was going to be. Uh, we do this to our politicians. They campaign and they campaign and they tell us they're going to change the world. And they're going to fix everything and everything is going to be perfect. And they, they, they have this utopian campaign where they say they're going to make everything amazing. And then they fail us and we get mad at them also for not being Jesus. Then we elect someone else and they make the same promise and 
so on and uh, so forth again. Uh, we get frustrated at our children because they're actually not the second coming of Jesus. Imagine that, right? He actually is a sinner, right? And you have to love him uh, in spite of that. Uh, so fill in the blank, right? So we need another spouse. We need another job. We need another car. We need another house. We need another degree because the last one didn't make us feel uh, important enough, right? We need another drink. We need another pill. Uh, we need another group of friends because the last group of friends didn't, didn't, didn't do it, right? And so our hearts are always looking for something. And friends, I just want to say this. When we put these God-like expectations on things, we ruin them. Food is great, but food makes a horrible God. Your spouse is awesome, but your spouse makes a horrible God. Sports is great, right? It's good to enjoy sports and entertainment until your team loses and then you bash the TV screen, right? Because the person misses the shot, right? And then you burn their jersey when they leave your team and all that stuff. They were never God. LeBron uh, may or may not be about to leave the Cleveland Cavaliers, so brace yourselves. Uh, The approval of people is okay until we can't live without it, right? And so these idols overpromise and overdeliver. As we continue in our journey through the Ten Commandments today, what we're going to see is is that God is very serious about this thing called idolatry. He does, He is not playing about idolatry. The first two commandments deal with idolatry. That's why Mike talked about it last week, and I'm talking about it this week as we're working our way through it, because God was very serious about this issue of idolatry. Why? Because uh, uh, Israel had just spent 400 years in slavery, where in Egypt, uh, idols and the idol worship was everything. Idolatry was life in Egypt, right? Uh, that was how they rolled. Everybody was doing it. You had an idol for everything. Uh, if you were trying to have a baby, you, you worshiped to a fertility god. Uh, if you uh, needed protection from an enemy, you, you probably prayed to a god of war and you made that. Uh, if you needed uh, crops, you worshiped uh, something that would give you crops. They worshiped the Nile River. Uh, they, wor- they worshiped Pharaoh. They worship uh, different uh, sacred cows. And God is saying, I know that's where you've been for the past 400 years, but I'm calling you into something different. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me. No other gods. Empty your pockets. Empty your pockets. Empty your bags. Empty your heart. You shall have no other gods before me, Israel. And that may have been a little bit challenging for them because that is all that they knew where they were coming from. He says, no other gods because I am your God. See, I rescued you out of Egypt, not just because. I rescued you out of Egypt because you are my people now, my covenant people. And I love you. And I want you to love me too. And I want you to love each other because we're a covenant family now. So I'm giving you a brand new identity and I'm trying to separate you from your idols. I'm trying to circumcise your heart and cause you to die to those other things that you've been believing in uh, for so long. And so why do you need an idol, Israel, when you have a God who will rescue you out of slavery? 
Why do you need an idol? What's the point? Why do you need an idol when you have a God who will send his son to die on the cross for your sins, to save you for all eternity? Why do you need an idol? But Israel was like some of us, right? They, they wanted God and. They wanted God plus. They like Jesus and trap music, if you're tracking with me. Some people got that. Some people didn't. All right. They like they like God and they wanted the world. All right. And so that's what we're going to deal with. We're going to step into that tension. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. Uh, let's read it again together. It says... You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall now not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But, and this is huge, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Like I said, this would have been very disorienting to the Hebrews. He said, no carved image, not anything uh, on the earth, beneath the earth, or in the water, none of that. This would have been a very uh, disorienting. God is flipping their world upside down uh, and inside out. And if we're being honest, everything is cool until our idols get touched. Everything is cool. Everything is great until our idols get touched. So they're probably saying, you, you, you're asking me, God, to trust in you, but I've been trusting in this. You're asking me to believe in you, but, but I've been believing in this. You're asking me not to find my identity in this relationship, but I've been finding my identity in this relationship for a long time. You're finding me not to find my identity in, in, my, in my work or in my children, but I've been worshiping my work and my children for a long time. That's, and it's, they're pretty awesome. And so you got to be coming with it, God, if you're asking me to give that up. And that's... What we're dealing with, we're dealing with a heart that doesn't want to let go. And and God is trying to tell them that I am enough. But it's it's hard, right? It's hard when the idols get touched. So he says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. But we've been bowing down to Pharaoh for 400 years. My parents bowed down to Pharaoh. My grandparents bowed down to Pharaoh. My great-great-parents bowed down to Pharaoh. And you're just asking me to give that up overnight just because you rescued me uh, 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 from, from, from Pharaoh and the Egyptians? I'm supposed to trust you holistically now? And that answer is yes. And it's the same with us, right? I, I've been saved. I accepted Christ. But you're asking me to give up. Fill in the blank. I've been with that for a long time. Time, But what God is saying, what he's saying is that there is freedom in being, in letting go of the idols. There's freedom in that. There's freedom in not being under Pharaoh anymore. There's freedom in that. It's freedom in not being gripped by addiction anymore. It's, it's freedom in not being addicted to sex, addicted to money, addicted to the approval of the world. There is freedom in that. Come let me show you what real love is. That's our God. He says, for I am the Lord, your God. 
I am, I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God. And some people get tripped up on that language of jealous, right? We, we may have the imagery of a jealous, insecure boyfriend who doesn't want you looking at somebody else at the party or something like that. That's not God. He's, he's not insecure and, and that ain't what it is. All right. What we're dealing with here is another type of jealousy where he's telling Israel we have an exclusive relationship. This is exclusive. It won't be God plus or God and anything else. I am the Lord your God. And no one else can satisfy you and no one else can give you identity and no one else can protect you and provide for you the way I can because I am your God. So I am a jealous God and so I won't be competing with anything else, Israel. He said, I am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third, fourth generations of those who hate me. What does that mean? That means that my idolatry and your idolatry does not only affect us, but it affects those around us, especially your offspring and your children. So your children are going to worship what you worship and who you worship more than likely. And the judgment or the wrath of God that is poured out for idolatry and the sorrows that accompany your idol worship will also be with your children. That's what God is saying. It moves from generation to generation. And so he's saying from the, from the second, third, fourth generation, all right, I will be visiting uh, that, that family for a season until, until somebody repents and says like Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. All right, so generations of uh, addiction. Generations of violence, uh, generations of poverty, uh, generations of racism and bigotry, all right? generations of atheism. God is saying, you may be the one who I'm calling to say no more. As for me and my family, as for me and this house, we're going to serve the Lord. And he says, you know, I'm going to visit the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but... Showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. God longs to show his steadfast love to his people. He longs to. He longs to show his steadfast love to your children and your children's children. But you can't serve God in anything else. We don't have that option. All right. There's this there's this divine romance where God wants to love you. And it's deeper than we can ever imagine because his love is deeper than we could ever imagine. He wants you to let that go and so that you can have him and nothing else. So it's easy, though. It's easy to look at the ancient Near East. It's easy to look at Israel and Egypt, like I said, and say that that's foreign. That has nothing to do with us. We're far too sophisticated. We're not making idols. We don't worship anything like that. And we don't even need the Ten Commandments. A guy by the name of John Weeks, uh, he's a, a writer for the San Bernardino Sun. He wrote this. He says, let's scrap the Ten Commandments. Some of them are plain silly based as they are upon ancient obsessions with farm animals and statues that most of us have moved well beyond. Let's just scrap them. We don't do that stuff no more. We're sophisticated. We're educated. We got iPhones, all this good old technology and degrees. We, we, don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't do that. 
but like I said before, I dare to say that we do. We may look at a third world country that practices child sacrifice and say, how dare they do that? But I would dare say that we practice child sacrifice in America every day. Every day that someone chooses to expand their career and work and put climbing the corporate ladder over their family and their children, that is a form of child sacrifice. Happens every day. Every time that a a corporate CEO chooses to take a raise or give himself a bonus while his employees don't get a livable wage, while his employees are laid off, we're practicing human sacrifice. Um, uh, Every time that uh, a neighborhood is gentrified and the whole community is mowed down in the name of growth and people are displaced and they just have to figure it out, we're practicing human sacrifice right here in the good old U.S. of A. We do it too. Every time that a person works and puts work and growing their in their career over their spouse in the name of growth, in the name of advancement, we are practicing spousal sacrifice. And I know all too well, because even though I've only been married three years, I, I've done that. And I confess that, that I have, I have done that. Now, me and Ashley's uh, first year of marriage... I was never at home. I was uh, never at home. I took a job uh, that my wife really didn't want me to take. Uh, it was at a. It was something that she was like, "No, Terrence, this isn't us. This big mega church in Dallas, Texas. This isn't us. Uh, too flashy, too too busy. Uh, this ain't what we're used to." Like, Terrence, this isn't us. You, you probably don't want to take this job. I, I don't think this is us. But I wanted it so bad. Big mega church, 7,000 people, big 500-member youth group, you know, budget out the wazoo. I'm like, this is what I've been wanting. This is, this is my, 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 my dream job. And I, and I just got to gotta get it. I got to take it. And I, I took it. And I sacrificed my marriage, my first year of marriage, in the process, uh, in the name of growth, in the name of career advancement. Um, That first year of marriage, we probably ate dinner together in our place about five or six times. I leave home eight in the morning. I usually got home nine, ten, eleven o'clock some nights. Uh, there were weeks when I didn't take a day off. My mind was absolutely consumed uh, with work all the time. And all of the time, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm hurting uh, my wife because she's not seeing me. And every time I am talking to her, I'm talking to her about work or, or something at the church. And so I've spent the past two years uh, praying for the Lord to repair what I broke and uh, seeking his forgiveness in my idolatry of ministry. Ministry can be an idol, by the way. It can be a real big idol, and it's easy to hide behind it because it looks like you're doing good things and you're you're helping people. But like I said, I I didn't. I probably ate dinner with my wife about five or six times that year. It was like a big deal when we'd like be sitting at the table together. Like that was like rare. Um, 
And so uh, it burned me out. It, it hurt my marriage. And I, and I learned, I think I had to learn that that ministry was not God. <laughs> I think I've since, uh, I've since learned that. Um, and it hurt me. When that happened, it hurt me to the core of my soul. It hurt, it hurt, it hurt so bad. Calling Mario back here in Memphis, it hurt to realize that what I believed in, what I cared about so much, actually wasn't going to fulfill my soul. And so, just to give you a little update on that, uh, I do take vacations and breaks now. We about to go to camp. When I get back from camp, you might not see me <laughs> for a little while. <laughs> Just being honest, um, we we do get dinner now. I, like I'm dead serious about us uh, eating together at night, and I'm still growing in it. I don't think I've necessarily mastered it, uh, but I think I am at a point where I will say this: if work at this church were to ever come between me and my marriage or my relationship with God, I would put in my resignation, and I'd have to figure it out and trust the Lord from there. This is not my God, right? This work. Is not my God. And I pray that I'm held accountable to that. Uh, Close friends, anybody here saw me putting that above God in my marriage. That means I got to let that go. I am dead serious. Um, So how do we wage war on the idolatry in our lives? Right? How how do you go to war with something like that? I've had to go to war with that in my life. How do you wage war on the idolatry? Uh, in your life. And so the first thing I'd say is, if you're taking notes, is you have to identify your idols. You have to identify your idols because those suckers can be sneaky, right? You think it's a good thing and you've turned it into a bad thing because you've made it a God thing. Good things become bad things when they become God things, and they can be very, very sneaky. So uh, maybe this is the youth, the youth pastor coming out of me a little bit, but let's, let's play a little game right quick. This is the youth pastor coming out of me. Uh, and so we're going to call it, Is It an Idol? And we're going to work through it together. <laughs> I didn't think of that. That's uh, my friend upstairs. That wasn't even my idea. <laughs> but that's cool. Thanks. Thanks, my man, Matt. Is it an idol? Uh, <laughs> wow. Uh, is it an idol? Anything that is enjoy, enjoyable, fun, or good, is it an idol? I say no, all right? No. Uh, good things are good things, right? God created the heavens and the earth, and he created good things and he created us to enjoy uh, those good things but they become bad things when they become god things so it's not sin to enjoy something if you like something like don't be afraid to like something right and to enjoy something food is good right marriage is great you can enjoy that so it's not an idol idol just because it's enjoyable or good a lot of people are living miserable lives because of that because they think everything is an idol just because it's enjoyable right not the case all right if anyone threatens to take it from you or if you lose it, your life is devastated, your world is over, is it an idol? I'm saying yes. Uh, it's normal to be hurt in life, right? It's normal to be disappointed. But if you can't imagine going on 
because the job didn't work out. If you can't imagine going on because you, they broke up with you or you didn't get uh, the latest model of the fill in the blank, all right, uh, th- that may be an idol. Right, the third one, uh, you are consumed with it. You can't stop thinking about it and you can't focus on anything else in life. Is it an idol? Yes, uh, probably, uh, it probably is an idol. Idols have a way of consuming us. They consume our thought life. Uh, they consume our hearts. And we can't get our minds off of them, right? We are infatuated with that thing. Um, another one, you just really like it a lot. Is it an idol? No. We've, we've agreed on that. It's okay to, to like something, to admire something. Um, and so that, that doesn't mean that it's an idol. Uh, there's a difference between liking something and obsession. When you cross over into obsession, right, then, then means you may have uh, crossed over uh, into idolatry. And lastly, if it gives you an identity of sense and worth and you don't know who you are without it, is it an idol? Yes, yes, right? God defines who you are. Uh, nothing else uh, divine, defines who you are. And so what I want to do is just look at three types of idols for us. I think there are three. Uh, one, one of those is a personal idol. All right, that's like money, sex, power, food, um, working out, right? You can be infatuated with working out um, and, and eating healthy. You're always counting calories, and that's okay to a degree, but if you're obsessed with that, uh, you may have crossed over into idolatry. These are those personal things in our lives that a lot of time nobody knows but you. You can hide in there. So we have those, those personal uh, idols. Um, secondly, I would say religious idols. Uh, this is one that I mentioned earlier, like ministry work, right? Uh, you just love the work of ministry. You love helping people, but sometimes you can love helping people for, uh, by impure motives. Uh, with some impure motives, you can help and serve. And so uh, that's a religious idol that some of us may need to watch out for. A certain type of worship, a certain person preaching. There are certain uh, churches where if a certain person isn't preaching, People will literally leave during service and go to another church. There's a story of a guy, he was a guest preacher at a church. He got up, everybody left. He said, okay, everybody's walking, everybody who wants to worship the pastor, y'all keep going, but everybody who wants to worship Jesus, y'all stay this Sunday. Right? That happens. Like we worship religious things, we can worship um, a certain person in ministry or a certain thing we're doing in ministry. And then the last one, and I want to park it here for just a little minute, uh, uh, cultural idols. Cultural idols. This is where Satan has gotten uh, a big stronghold on a community, and he, is, he has erected an idol, and people uh, in that community have rallied around it or bowed down to it. This is a cultural idol. And just parenthetically, I want to say that obviously it is Satan who sometimes erects these idols in our lives. He's behind the idol because ultimately he wants to remove you and your your heart from God. He wants to distract you from worshiping uh, the Lord. And so he will he will raise up anything. He will have you worship a rock if that means that you won't worship the Lord. And sometimes in a community, there is something that has a community so bound that holistically everybody there kind of bows down to that thing. And so um, in certain parts of the country, let's say in New York, it's business. It's all about pace. It's all about money. It's all about careers. It's all about getting it. Probably out west, it may be fame, right? You go to L.A., it's about who do you know? How many views you got on YouTube? Uh, can you get me a contract? 
can you get me connected with fill in the blank? Can you get me an audition, right? So out west, they, they might idolize that. Uh, in Boston, I heard it's knowledge. It's like, what do you know? Uh, where did you get your degree? You know, are, are, do you have your PhD? Well, you can't talk to me if you ain't on this level and I won't listen to you. And intellect is everything, right? And so uh, in different parts of the country, it's different things. Um, I would say here for us in Memphis, one of the things that has had us bound for years is this issue of racial pride. This issue of race has had us bound. It's an idol that many people have bowed down to. And, 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 it's, and, it's a, and it's a scary thing for some of us. Some of us get intimidated at the idea of even thinking about it because that's how much it has bound us as a community. Uh, years of segregation. Years of uh, not able to, to have healthy race relations have hurt us uh, as, a, as a city. We, we, are a, we can be a tribalistic city here in Memphis. We stick to our own. It's how we roll. We, we stick to our own. We feel like it's safe uh, to stick to our own. And we have often bowed down to the idol of race. And some people may say, well, well Terrence, why do, why, man, why do we got to talk about it, right? Why do we got to talk about it? You're making me uncomfortable, like, even bringing it up. But the reality is, if we as the church do not deal with this idol of race in our city, then who is who is going to confront it if we don't, if we as the people of God don't say that racial pride and racial identity does not define who we are, but God is? Who, who is? Our society is going to continue to bow down to it. And we, we have let it intimidate us. We squirm when we even uh, think about it. So how does this play out? We can't even imagine going to the same schools. And it's been that way for a long time. We can't even imagine having in-depth uh, relationships with people that are different from us. Some of us, right? And, and it's been that way for a long time. And God is saying, us as the covenant people of God, we're, we're, we're called not to bow down to this idol of race. We're called not to let it control us and define how we operate together. And so I've heard people say, well, Terrence, maybe we just, if we just, just focus on the gospel and don't bring up the race thing, you don't have to be direct about it, just talk about the gospel and that'll just work itself out. But I will say to you, my friend, you cannot focus on the gospel, you cannot embrace your brother or sister in Christ who's different from you, and you cannot fully worship your God with a hand full of idols. You cannot worship God with one hand and hold on to the idol of race in the other hand. So this idea that it's just going to work itself out without us going at the idol head on, that is unrealistic and it's not true. God tells us to turn from our idols. And, and, and that's, that's the only way that we'll get to what we really want to get to. You got to confront it for what it is, call it what it is, and repent from it, and turn from it for what it is. Cultural idols. Will we be the church on that? Will we? After we identify these idols, we have to turn from them. 
God was telling Israel this in Ezekiel. He says, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, repent and turn away from your idols and turn away your face from abominations. So if you identify your idols, the second thing you do is you repent from your idols. You can't bring the idols to the altar, my friend. He says, turn from it. And, and he's so gracious. He is so gracious that sometimes that if, if we don't turn from it, he will break it himself. He will destroy it himself. He will cleanse us himself. That's what he does. That thing, that place, he, 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 he will break it himself. He tells uh, Israel this in Ezekiel 36, 25. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. He says, I will do it. He says that I will do the work of purifying your hearts. That I will, I will crush and crush and crush those idols until you realize that all you need is me. And that all you needed was me all along. So after you identify your idols... You repent from your idols. And lastly, you replace your idols. And you can't replace an idol with another idol. You can't say, well, idolize uh, drinking, and so now I'm going to idolize this relationship that I have. So I just replace drinking with a relationship. Or I idolize my work, now I'm going to idolize my kids. Right. And so you you can't fill in the blank with another idol. God is saying that the only thing you can replace that idol with is me. And So I'm going to crush it. I'm going to ask you to turn from it. And so that you can have what you've needed all along, which is me. So as the band comes, I want to uh, leave us with a question. Why run after an idol when you have a God Who is running after you? Why run after an idol? When you have a God who's running after you. What God was trying to say to Israel and what God is trying to say to us is, the idol is saying, sacrifice for me. But God is saying, I sacrificed for you. The idol is saying, prove your love to me. But God is saying that I've already proved my love for you. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The idol is saying, you need me to be somebody. Work harder. God is saying that I know your name. And all that matters is that I know your name. So rest. A good thing becomes a bad thing when we, make, when we make it a God thing. And so why would we be enslaved to an idol when we can experience the freedom of Christ? Why would we bow down to fill in the blank that does not love us, that does not provide for us, that just like the idol that fell and was crushed will disappoint us? Why bow down to that when God is saying, I am here for you and I love you? And I'm for you forever. Let's think on that. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in your mighty sons, Jesus' name.
thanking you that you are God alone. God, you are good. You are mighty. You are capable. You don't need any help from us. You don't need any help from uh, the world. You don't need another uh, God. Uh, you don't need our, 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 our degrees or our, our, our resumes. Father God, you are sufficient to be our God. And I pray that you would help us identify the idols in our heart. I pray that you would give us the grace to turn from those idols. And if we're having a hard time turning from those idols, I pray that you would crush them anyway. And I pray that you would help us run to you because you are enough. It's in your mighty son's Jesus name that we pray. Amen.